Nick Ripkin, who spoke here at our Greenlight Conference not too long ago, spent several years conducting over 700 hours worth of interviews with the persecuted church around the world. And I want to share with you one particular story that opened up his eyes to see the devotion that the persecuted church had for the scriptures. A Chinese believer once said, you see how we're meeting with you here in secret, Dr. Ripken? We have told you how our house churches move from farm to farm and from house to house, often in the middle of night. You have watched our leadership literally rip apart a Bible and divide up pages so that every house, house church pastor can at least take home some portion of scripture to share with his people. Yet, Dr. Ripken, you tell us that you personally have seen seven different versions of the Bible sitting on your shelf in your office, and that you also own many Christian books, and your people regularly read Christian magazines and websites. This caused Nick Ripken to contemplate what we have here in America, and this is what he wrote about that experience. He said, in that moment, I began to weep and realize how much I take for granted. I suddenly saw all the things that I have allowed to become common, things that would be considered miracles in the eyes of millions of believers in persecution. He says, when I reach for one of the many Bibles on my shelf, I think of those Chinese house church pastors, each one going home from the secret conference, clutching just a handful of torn out pages, they will preach from those few pages until they receive, by secret, another portion of Scripture. He says, I also think of that youth conference in Moscow 50 years ago where the young Russian believers recreated the entirety of the four Gospels just from memory. So to us this morning, we see that these believers have a true devotion to reading the Scriptures for the purpose of teaching them, for learning them, and for living them out. How about us? Do we have this same type of single-minded devotion to Scripture? Or are we another typical American church that has to have the right conditions, like time of worship, style of worship, style of preaching, temperature of the room, certain type of clothing, and on and on? Or, like our persecuted brothers and sisters around the globe, is the Word of God enough? Is it enough for us? Because what we see over the next few weeks in Acts chapter 2 should not be to us this extraordinary event where we just say, well, yeah, that was then and this is now. No, God gave us this as the ordinary expectations of the church. So find in your copy of God's Word, Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. And would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. 
They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. You may be seated. This morning, we're going to focus on the first part of verse 42 that says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And you may say, well, there's not that much there, but we would be surprised. So as an action step for this morning, the thing you would write down to say, what is it that we're supposed to get from this passage? It's this, for us to become devoted to teaching, learning, and living out God's word. And before we dive into this passage, when you see that phrase, devoted themselves to, that phrase is just one word in the Greek. Now, in the English language, you, we use the word devoted for all kinds of things, right? I'm devoted to ice cream. I'm devoted to UT, at least when they play Tennessee Tech. I'm devoted to whatever. That's not what the word devoted themselves to means in the Greek. It means to be constant, unremitting, steadfast, adhere to. This is not a cause of the day or a flavor of the month. Because we know trends and issues in our society are going to come and go. But the Word of God is the only thing worth fixing our lives to. So if we're going to be known and identified by something, may it be the Word of God. This is what it means to be devoted. So we need to be devoted to teaching Scripture. We need to be devoted to learning Scripture. And we need to be devoted to living out Scripture. So the first thing in your notes, number one, we see they were devoted to teaching. Devoted to teaching. So we learned last week that they were baptized, and then we see in this verse that immediately they were devoted to the teaching of God's Word through the apostles. Now, does this sound familiar? It's the exact same thing that Christ told them in the Great Commission. Remember, Jesus said, make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus promised this when he spoke to the Father. When he prayed to the Father in John 17, Jesus said, now they know that everything you have given me is from you because I have given them the words you gave me. Now they have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. That's why teaching God's word is so important. It's one of the primary purposes. We were given the Holy Spirit upon Jesus' departure. That's why Jesus said in John 14 to the disciples, he said, I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. So here we see in Acts chapter 2, Peter has just finished preaching a Christ-exalting sermon. And as a work of the Spirit of God and the Word of God working together, 3,000 people were saved. That's because God builds his church by the word. Just as God spoke into creation, the very nature we have around us, in Genesis he used his words to speak creation into existence. He speaks his new creation here, the church into creation with what? His mighty word. And Luke tells us, and he's the author of Acts, he tells us that the first church was devoted to specific activities that we're going to go over for the next few weeks. But at the very top of that list was the devotion to the teaching of the apostles. And why is that? 
Because the Word of God should inform everything else that we do here in the local church. Everything. By the way, teaching God's Word should never be taken lightly. James warned us of this in James chapter 3. When he said, not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. You see, teaching scripture should be taken seriously because it's a lot more than just gathering information and giving a lecture. It's about giving away life-changing truth, and it calls for a response to that truth. It demands for us to change our lives. Teaching is being led by the Spirit, not based on trends, but by His Word alone. Look throughout history. Look at just the past 60, 70 years. Any denomination, group, or individual that has said, you know what, Scripture is my authority, but so is, and one particular denomination made this move and said, Scripture is my authority, but so is reason, experience, and tradition. In other words, groups, Christian groups, and individuals throughout the past century have said, Scripture is a good authority, but just as valid as my reason, my personal experience, and my tradition in the church. I want to say to you this morning, reason, experience, and tradition are not bad things. But they should never be exalted above God's word. Pastor and church revitalization expert Dr. Scott Brown said this. He said, a tradition-driven church focuses backward upon where they have been. And although it is good to reflect on what church and what God did in the past in this church, this type of church is so consumed with their history, they might not have a future. So a tradition-driven church is one that is structured only to reflect former days and former members and former methods to the detriment of the future of the church. Dr. Brown also said this, while tradition is a worthwhile thing, especially in the life of a long-standing faith family, it is an ineffective and even broken force to drive the church forward. And when tradition becomes the primary motivation for decision-making, it runs contrary to the real purpose of the body of Christ, the local church, and the word of God itself. This is why God said in Isaiah 43, 19, behold, I am doing a new thing. God is calling us to press into the future with the word of God alone as the sufficient source of teaching. So when we begin to hold up reason, life experience, and tradition as equal to the authority of Scripture, guess what we have done? We have begun to pull up the anchor of God's word alone and allow the winds of culture to sway us. We see this now in our deeply divided nation. We know that this country's always had divisions of some sort. But many of us feel as though those divisions have crept into the church. Many churches have allowed preaching and teaching to become camp exalted instead of Christ exalted. What do I mean by that? By camp exalted, I mean the different camps that we ascribe ourselves to. The different groups that we say we belong to versus Christ. By camps, I mean liberal versus conservative, Democrat versus Republican, pro-vaccination versus anti-vaccination, pro-mask versus anti-mask, this style of worship versus that style of worship. We've allowed the divisions of culture and tradition 
to become a wedge in the church rather than surrounding ourselves and building unity off God's word alone. But like the believers of the New Testament church, we must allow the word of God and his gospel alone to be the anchor that unites us if we have any hope of changing our city and our world with the gospel. They were not only devoted to teaching God's word, but number two, they were devoted to learning God's word. Devoted to learning God's word. Now, in my 20 plus years of pastoring, I've heard a lot of people say, it's just too hard to study the word, or I don't understand the Bible, or you know what, pastor, I don't have a Bible degree. And to those of you who think that, I would say, don't forget who just got finished preaching this sermon in Acts 2. Who was it? Peter, an uneducated fisherman. And by the way, the people who responded to this message, it wasn't their intellect that gave them the devotion. It was their hunger for God's word that propelled them into devotion for God's word. And don't forget, when you have trusted Christ, you are given his spirit that will guide you into all truth while you study his word and learn God's word. And when it comes to being devoted to learning God's word, you remember the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. Listen to this group of people. It says, as soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Upon arrival, the people here were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, since they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Consequently, many of them believed, including a number of prominent Greek women as well as men. And do you see why the Bereans were considered noble here? It had nothing to do with their education level or their intellect. Why were they called noble? Because of their eagerness to learn the scriptures, to see if these things about Jesus setting people free, breaking chains, giving new hearts, they wanted to know if this was true. I think about men who have discipled me at pivotal points in my life. I think of two in particular. In my middle school and early high school years, a man by the name of Charlie Music discipled both me and Jared Morgan. I know what you're thinking, what went wrong? But nevertheless, he discipled us. Then in my later high school years, a man by the name of Mike Smalley discipled me. Now, neither of these men had Bible degrees. As a matter of fact, one of them didn't go to college at all and was a simple office supply salesman in the city. But they both dedicated themselves to helping me understand God's word and disciple me with no Bible degree. So when we say things like, I don't have time, or the Bible's too hard, we're just making excuses because here in America, we have a wealth of biblical resources at our fingertips. Yet places like Iran and China are right now experiencing historical revivals, and they have limited copy of God's word in their languages. So as learners of God's word, we must lay down any desire for our opinions, our political commentary, or our desire to be entertained. As learners, we must believe that scripture alone is sufficient to build up and to bless the church. And in turn, we must submit as we learn God's word to what is being taught. Finally, they were devoted to living. Devoted to living. Now, this third and final point is where many North American churches just stop. Because we love good preaching and teaching. 
I'm not necessarily saying you're getting that this morning, but we love good preaching and teaching. And many of us love to learn and examine the scriptures. But so many times the command to go out and to actually live out the word is ignored. That's why one of our core values here at Wallace is be doers of the word, not hearers only, as James said in chapter 1. Let's admit it, some of the adjustments that Christ calls us to make when we follow him, that we see in his word, they are hard. They are difficult to submit our lives to. And it's because of this difficulty that so many churches and denominations and individuals have added personal experience as equal to the authority of God's word. And then we begin to slowly twist the word into our image and make it more palatable rather than trusting God's good word and adjusting our lives to it. This is why Paul warned in Colossians 2.8, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. So Paul was warning that both the outside of the church, the the deceitful philosophies of the world and the traditions within the church, both of these things, the enemy without and the enemy within, that we take all of those things captive and submit them to the lordship of his Christ and of his word. Reminds me of a story. When we first moved here 10 years ago, and we moved into the Weaver house, Granny Weaver's house, When Tom and Carol got that house ready for us, we thought we were living at Disney World. We loved that property so much. And I'll never forget our first Knoxville Christmas in that home. We have a great video of this, and we'll show it to you sometime. But our daughter, who's now 13, Caroline, was three when we first moved here. And my wife asked her to tell the Christmas story in her own words. So she began to say things like a three-year-old would do, and she said, well, Jesus... At Christmas, put up a Christmas tree and built a gingerbread house. So my wife kind of prompting Caroline to get to the the part where Jesus grows up and does something incredible for us. My wife said, well, what about when Jesus grew up? And with absolute confidence, a three-year-old Caroline said, oh, Jesus met some bad guys and he punched them in the face. And my sweet wife said, Caroline, that's not in the Bible. She looked at my wife and said, well, it's in my Bible. (laughs) Now, that's cute for a three-year-old. But when we start twisting the scriptures when we're 30 or when we're 70, that's disobedient and it's devastating to the body of Christ. Many of us love to hear preaching and we love learning, but when it comes to actually living the word, sometimes we're living out a false version of our own Bibles rather than his word. We do not get to pick and choose what parts of Scripture we obey and which ones we ignore. We don't have that right. So, are you currently in the process of being discipled by someone or discipling someone else, preferably within the context of a D group? Are you actively sharing your faith? Are you trusting in the leadership of this church and praying for them as they seek God's direction? Because in the New Testament church, action always followed conviction. And if we begin to ignore conviction, sometimes that means the softer and quieter God's voice becomes in our lives because 
we've begun to shape, be shaped by our own Bibles and His Word alone. Now, many of you know that we have started a revitalization process five years ago at our Cumberland campus. For those of you who don't know, Cumberland, this great church, was planted in 1962 by Dr. McCluskey and some very courageous and obedient families right here from Wallace. But a few years ago, it fell on some very hard times because the whole neighborhood had rapidly changed from when it was planted in the 60s. And several longtime members of Cumberland said, we're probably two years away from closing our doors. So I want to close by telling you a story of a landmark turning point in the revitalization of Cumberland when a devotion to God's word began to overtake the people of every age and every demographic. It happened when we were doing much prayer and assessing at how the neighborhood around Cumberland had become vastly younger and vastly diverse. So as a group of people made up of different age groups, we made a strategic and prayerful decision to change many things. And one of those things was to change the way of how we did worship, not just in terms of style, but how we engaged people in worship based on the fact that the neighborhood was younger and more diverse. Now, there were several who did not like this decision. And, and although we joke about this today, they did not hesitate to tell me about their disapproving opinion. Then something happened. A couple weeks later, those opinions stopped. I didn't know why. I was hoping it was my powerful preaching, but that wasn't it. I found out why. There's a group of senior adults, awesome leaders that we stand on the shoulders of at Cumberland because they helped form that church. And they were having a conversation about the issues they were having with all the changes. And a senior adult lady who has since gone on to be with Jesus was asked her opinion because they knew she didn't like the music. So they said, what do you think about it? And this is what she said to them. She said, the songs we sing may not be my favorite, but it's not about my preferences. It's all about the word. And if the word of God is central to those songs and it draws in a new generation, then I need to get over it, so let's move forward. And then she said this. She said, I'm called to pass down the word and the gospel to the next generation. I'm not called to pass down my preferences. God did a humbling thing in that place, and we did not take it lightly. And revival is taking place there like it is here. So let me ask us this question this morning. Are we ready to press on like those in Acts chapter 2? Are we ready to say the word of God is enough, so let's go make disciples? In Acts 2, this was no longer a, a scared or subdued group of Christians praying quietly in an upper room. This is now an army of 3,000 who are all over the city praying praising God and witnessing about the love of Christ and his forgiveness. So are we ready to teach God's word, learn God's word, and then live out his word? That's ordinary. That's how revival happens. So this morning, perhaps you've never believed in this word, this Bible full of eyewitness accounts of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Perhaps you've never trusted the fact that Christ took your place on the cross so that you may be forgiven and be given a new heart. 
The Bible tells us today is this day of salvation. His grace and mercy are waiting. Or perhaps you have trusted in Christ, but you have never taken that next step to be baptized as a way to symbolize your union with Christ and your identity with Wallace. And finally, perhaps this morning, you've been convicted that you've been learning God's word for a long time, but you've been putting off living out his word. This altar will be open. There will be those of us up front to pray with you and to walk with you. Will we respond and make this ordinary? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that we do not have to rest upon the swaying philosophies of our culture, the traditions, good or bad, the opinions of preachers, teachers, and people, but we can rest and build upon your word alone because it is sufficient. As long as the words we sing and the words we read are straight out of the gospel and your word, we know it is powerful and effective sharper than any double-edged sword. So God, I pray this morning that we would become a church on both of our campuses that would seek revival, not not out of experience, not out of tradition, but out of your word alone, moving in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. God, I pray for those in this room today who do not know you, that they would find out that today is the day of salvation. They would come forward. Pray others who need to join the church or be baptized would Step out and make those decisions. And God, I pray that we would fill this altar with repentance for teaching your word, learning your word, but forsaking the living out of your word. May we repent of that, God, and live it out in order to see your spirit move. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, let's sing, and let's respond.